Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter one, three, four. Of the Corona Diaries. Hello. We've just recorded a Q&A, haven't we? We have. We have. We've already done a day's work, and here we are, labouring into the small hours of the morning. The small hours of the morning. There's some magical moments on that Q&A. Is there? Already? Well, I'm thinking, and I'm just going to put it out there, I'm thinking the Scouse Billy Joel impression is absolutely <laughs> amongst the greatest things I've ever heard you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it, it's it's not a problem. It's not a problem, and that may come back at some point. That may feature at some point in the future. Who knows? <laughs> Just stop dangling it. Just get on with it. <laughs> I'm getting on with it. Get on um, with it. We're going to talk about Less Is More this week, aren't we? We are. Yes, because that's the next album on our list. I think. Amazing. I, I, I've forgotten just about all of that, so I'm going to go and listen to it. Right. We'll do a preamble we this will. week. And, we'll do a, a and preamble. Then, and then I will listen to it all. I just had a quick burst of, of, of If My Heart Were a Ball just then, and, and do you know, I've got no, no, no memory of it at all. That was. I think, oh, this is good. Who are these? Yeah. Was oh, that so, me? Um, yeah. So, yes, they, they, they've got to go back and... and Revisit that. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was AI. Yeah, it could be. It could be, yeah. Yeah. Maybe Mike just programmed something and got his take of you done by a computer. Oh, that'll be the day. I would mm. thoroughly encourage that. That would save us a lot of ball. Like. <laughs> hey, Mike, why don't, you just, why don't you just do the next one? And we'll come in and listen to the mixes. <laughs> Before we get into Less Is More, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Um, mm. Obviously, we dropped a klaxon uh, last time. <laughs> dropped a klaxon. Um, <laughs> we dropped a klaxon, uh, which is, it created a little bit of a panic, but we were just, I, it was me really, just pointing out we are three quarters of the way through the diary. That's, that's all. Um, and TCD will not go on forever. Folks, sorry to have to break it to you, um, but but we we kind of giving you a, a forty episode <laughs> runoff. <laughs> you know, it's a forty week warning. Um, so so don't, so so don't don't worry too much. You know, but we just we just you know preparing you for it gently and ourselves probably actually. Yes, yes, um, it'd be, be be strange, won't it? It will. It will be strange. When but but don't panic the, uh... unnecessarily. There's plenty of time. And then the other thing in terms of housekeeping from last week, bloody hell, that was a croomcast. That was a that was fantastic. Oh well, I'm glad you liked it because I was I was quite pleased. I put a lot of effort into it, um, and uh, I spent quite a bit of time on it actually um, to to get it right, particularly the musical accompaniment to the voice uh i was trying to sort of make sure that it moved in all the right places and didn't get in the way at the same time so it was it was a bit of a you know a lot, a lot of care went went into it you know because i was pondering i was thinking i wonder if i should sing the star spangled banner because um we'd we'd mentioned the uh, the midterms and how pleased we were that that Joe had got the Senate and everything. Um. And so I went and had a look at at the lyric, and then I I read where that 
story had come from, which was a siege on a fort by the English, um, and the fact that they they'd said that if the flag I mean I don't know if this is true or whether it's myth but they said that if the flag was down in the morning that would be the surrender um and the English had got something like 40 ships sitting in the sea pounding this force all night and Legend has it that in the morning the flag was still standing because it was actually being supported by the dead bodies of the guys who'd run out to to keep it up. Um, and so that's quite a moving... Once you know that story, then those words really mean so much more. Um, and... Whenever I've heard the Stars and Stripes, it's always been quite, you know, or um, or, or there's been some kind of diva singing, um, you know, thinking about Beyonce doing it, um, you know, belting it out, and so I I wanted to try and bring some soul to it. I wanted it to reflect what what it was about, which was about the struggle for independence and the the birth of a dream, a great dream. Um, and so I was trying to to give it some honesty and soul, maybe just a tinge of sadness. Um, and to make it beautiful, that's what I was up to. And and when I finally got it done, I I think I managed that. And I, I, I and so I was quite keen to find out what everybody would think, and also a little bit worried in case it offended anyone. You know, a, a Brit singing the American national anthem is a bit weird. Um, and what right have I got, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Especially when it was about a Brit's, um, yeah, a, attempting a kind of genocide against them. Um, Not our finest hour, but but you know, I'm only I'm only British in the sense that my body was born here. I'm not really a, a patriotic person. I'm I'm a person of the world. I'd like to feel that I'm I'm above all that. Uh, or that my life's taken me above all that. I'm fortunate that that my mind is broader than patriotism. Um, so there we are. So it was lovely to um, to, to. I mean, I think uh, was it Adam Adam Burton. He he came he came back and said some really nice things about mm. it. So it was lovely to 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 get such a positive reaction from the Americans, some of whom have their own negative associations with their own anthem. Um, and this was like a, a kind of cure for that. It was, it was a good medicine, they, they told me. You know, they, they, could, they could stand to hear it again now. So that's beautiful. It stopped me. When I was doing the QC, when I was t- taking it for a walk to listen to it before I went out... Um... It, that, I did. I did. I stopped while I was listening to it and leant on a on a dry stone wall, uh, as as you do in my neck of the woods, uh, with a fairly confused looking cow uh, near me who didn't have a clue what I was doing. Uh, it, but it did. It did stop me. And the bit where it goes to piano, just just you know changed the feel. And then the way it resolved at the end. I don't know what chords you used at the end, but the way it just resolved on that last that last note was lovely. Yes. It 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 instead of going to the root, it drops so that yeah. it sounds. Perhaps a little bit sadder, somehow mm. a bit bit more introverted. Perhaps a bit more like a question than a statement as well. Yeah, I think I just dropped on that chord by mistake and thought, oh, that's nice. Mm, it was very nice. And the other thing is, it's not a tune you tend to hear on your own in in earphones. No. And And actually it takes on a whole different meaning when it's a very individual moment very you know insular moment i thought i thought that that there's so much power in it 
both in terms of the, the way that, like you say, it wasn't belted out, but also that a lot of people will have listened to it the same way I listened to it in, in, in a set of cans. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm glad, I, you know, I'm really glad I did it. I was a little bit reticent um, about causing offence or having the right to do it. And I swapped a few texts with Oren Hertz. I said, I'm thinking of doing the Star Spangled Banner. What do you reckon? And he came back and went, Ooh, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> he said, there'll always be some twat who'll take offence. <laughs> I said, well, yeah. <laughs> On anything, on absolutely on anything. Yeah, exactly. anything. So, so, you know, that's the reason to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, well, after I'd, after I'd mixed it, I sent sent it to Aaron and said, what do you reckon? And he, he, he wrote back and he said, if anyone takes offence to that, send them to me and I'll tear them a new arse. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so there we are. There we are. That's the last word on it. <laughs> Can't improve on that, Orin. <laughs> anyway, back to Less Is More. But before we get on to Less Is More in of itself, let's have a little <laughs> jog back. Because obviously mm. Less Is More is an acoustic uh, album. It's it's an acoustic reworking of, of, of some songs that have been on various albums, um, a, a slight reimagining of some tunes. But the first time I heard you guys play purely acoustically was the Holidays in Eden launch party at the Borderline Club. Blimey, right. And you got up and you did three or four tunes, I think, from Season's End acoustically. I don't think you did anything from Holidays, but you did three from a, from a, uh, it was a fan club only thing. And I think you also played uh, Substitute by The Who. Right. And that's the first time I'd ever heard you play acoustically. Ian didn't. Ian didn't bother. I don't know if Ian was supposed to bother, but he didn't bother. Right. He was at the back having a fag. Right. He turned up at least. He, oh, he, yeah. He, he he appeared, but he but he, yeah. he he weren't for hitting anything. No. Um, Charlie Watts wouldn't have even turned up. <laughs> um, and and but you did the songs fairly straight ahead, fairly straight ahead versions of of, of the tunes, and then. I guess the next time I heard you play acoustically was, and I don't know which one came up first. Was it Unplugged at the Walls or Piss Up in a Brewery that came first? I'm, I'm asking the wrong person, aren't I? <laughs> I think it was Unplugged at the Walls, but I could be wrong. That was radiation time, wasn't it? Yeah, because that was a um, that was a scheme dreamt up by Rothers um, to get free dinners. In the uh, in the good restaurant in Oswestry, Street, um, in return for a gig, uh, it was uh, it was an inspired idea because the mm. food was great in the, in that Walt restaurant restaurant, and Jeff the manager was a big fan of his live music, so he was he was happy to have us there, and um, and then we yeah and then we recorded it, and I I I was quite pleased with Unplugged at the Walls. I thought it was a a good little album. There's some really good moments on there. Isn't it coming out on vinyl? Is it? Shortly. Yeah, all two. Yeah. Did, did um, I read that somewhere? I'm sure I read that somewhere. Yeah, maybe that's part of a plan. I think that's something we're we're looking at. I thought I thought that was the case. I've just had a quick Google, and it was first. You're right. Unplugged at the, at the Walls was first. I think that's also evident when you look at what's on the album, actually. Um, different listening between the two. Um, but it was it was a, around radiation time, and um, it was while well, we were mixing radiation yeah. that we that that we performed that show. Twenty mm. fifth and twenty sixth of June, nineteen ninety eight, and I think this is the first time I heard Gosh. you start to play around with the arrangements a little bit. Mm. Yeah, we definitely we definitely changed the 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 space. I remember mm-hmm. with that little descending the the semitone descending thing, which was different to how it had been on the Got studio like a, record. A, a, a lounge jazz kind of vibe, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, that was quite nice. I liked mm. that. So yeah, we started messing about a little bit with um, with things that we'd already written 
um, for for unplugged at the walls. But for the most part, the songs kind of stuck to being how how they were, you know, in in terms of the chords and the moves. But when we came to to look at um, less is more. That album was from the ground up treated as an experiment, mm. um, and so the we set out to deliberately avoid just playing the songs acoustically. That was never part of the the idea of it from the word go. You know, Mike said, Mike Mike Hunter said, um, let's reinvent them all. Let, let's turn them inside out and upside down and try and find a way to do them in a different way. And if we can't, let's not do them. Let's not just do Easter. You know, let, let, let's not do that. We've done that. Let's let's try and find a way to to change them and and to re to rewrite them. And so we we were um, we spent quite a lot of time. Over the, the 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 musical arrangement, probably nearly as much time as we would have done if we'd been actually writing the songs to start with. We we made that same journey of of you know trying every chord under the sun, <laughs> in every order, <laughs> to see where it would take us. Um, and I remember Mark having that mad idea for for um, quartz with the um, and everybody's thinking, "Oh, gold!" And you know, how do we play that? And then we, that Pete's Pete's got a little Pete's got a little keyboard instrument kicking about the studio that used to belong to his his dad or his granddad or his uncle or something, and it's called a dulcitone. And I guess it's a sort of like a forerunner of a Fender Rhodes in a way, but, mm. but you know, hundred years back. And it's got, I think it's got little reeds inside it instead of strings. It's like a piano, but when you when you press a note instead of getting a piano note, you get this kind of clunk, almost like a toy piano, but a bit more grown up. And uh, I was given the job of playing that, um, and there was one there was one note that was missing. So it go doodle 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 donk. And, and so there were bits missing out of it. And Mike loved that. And I'm going, what about this one that only goes clunk? And he said, oh, it'll be great. It'll be great. And Mike, Mike loved the idea that of, of the thing being a bit literally clunky. Um, and so um, I used to play that thing. The, the the other thing I remember about those sessions was that they were recorded in the summer, I think, and it was insanely hot. Mm. And it and it was so hot, we'd got all the windows and doors of the studio open and we were wringing wet and it was so hot you couldn't concentrate. And we were tr- I was trying to remember all these new arrangements and where, where everything was going to go next and it was literally too hot to be able to do it. You know, I couldn't retain. None of us could retain any information because we were too hot. Um, so it took hundreds of takes to do anything. Um, and I think Mike pieced it all together from the moments that we were getting right and editing out the fuck-ups, of which there were many. So what... Bear in mind, Unplugged at the Walls was 2000, sorry, 98, uh, Pittsburgh Brewery is 2000. This is 2008, 2009 time, I'm guessing. I'll have to look at exactly when you went in the studio. What was the prompt? What was the prompt for let's let's do this? Whose idea was it? I think it was um, it was probably me saying, I, I just don't feel ready to write another album yet. Um, I always... I, I always balk at the prospect of, of 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 knocking out another one, just as I, I will for the next one. You know, I, I feel it coming towards me, um, and I don't find it easy. Um, 
and so I'm never looking forward to getting stuck into a new a new set of jam sessions and 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 starting to write. And I think I think I just felt a bit worn out creatively. So I so said, "Is there anything we can do instead of making another album? You know, I just need give me another year at least." And um, I think somebody had had the idea of, "Well, why don't we um, make an acoustic album, but at the same time make an acoustic album where the songs are totally different?" Yeah just have a bit of fun with it that you know look through a different prism at at at, at our back catalog it was probably mike who suggested it and i would have jumped on that as a as a, a chance to to kick the next album into the long grass mm. yeah because actually so i'll on the back of that, then, are we now at the right sort of intervals? Is is four to five years about the right sort of for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad I don't have to start work on on another one next year. Um, we've got quite a lot of live stuff in now for next next year. Whether we'll start jamming in the autumn, I don't know. But we're already thinking in terms of maybe twenty twenty four to to get stuck into the next one so i don't know how many years that'll be after an hour before it's dark the years tend to pass a lot quicker as you get older yeah. as well yeah. they just zip by yeah you're averaging yeah. sort of four to five aren't you the last i mean if you look at uh, fear if you look at sorry um sounds of carbon made to fear that was four wasn't it? Fear, fear to this one's probably five. You know, you're in Gosh. that kind of four, four to five. If you take less is more out of the equation, there's a there's a decent sized gap from uh, happiness is the road. Uh, yeah, I suppose well. between fear and an hour before it's dark, we we might do it was a pandemic as well, album, didn't we? So that, yeah, she that, did. That was an album in its own right, really, in yeah. terms of more or less in terms of the amount of time it took. Um, it probably would have taken a bit bit longer had we been writing brand new stuff but it still still took quite a while and then of course we toured with it and so before you know it you've done another two mm. years mm. um so that's probably what held this one up and, it, and i guess if you take that as an example and also take less is more it's a is it what is it a slightly different kind of creativity because you've got you're not limiting yourself to what you're doing but you've got something to start with haven't you you you're modeling something you've already got yeah, you haven't got the the dreaded blank page. Um, from my point of view, of course, I haven't got to write any lyrics, yeah. so that's a massive uh, burden lifted from me. Um, the rest of the band, the process is probably similar in a way, in the sense that that they're trying to come up with interesting musical moves interesting chord changes um and um and and new sounds to some degree mark marks marks under some obligation to to come up with with new sounds i get just as steve probably is whereas i it was like a role reversal in 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 that sense that I was I was just having fun and they were doing the work. Um, it, it's it can often feel the other way around when we're making the studio albums. I feel like they're having a good time and the great weight of the world is on me to create, you know, to make a statement and to create something that transcends anything we've done before. Um, everyone else is just having fun. <laughs> That's how it seems to me. It's probably not quite true. Sure, I was going to say sure, it's not quite like that. But I know what you're saying. <laughs> Whereas on this, on unless it's more, I was the one having fun, and, and uh, for a change, the onus was on everybody else to to, to do the work. I, I just had to turn up and sing on it. Hmm. Well, except you didn't, though, did you? Because you'd have involved in the arrangement and, and all that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I make that journey, but but I, it, the pressure wasn't upon me no. to to. Leave. I was, I wasn't. Um, you know, when, it's often like a train. 
somebody's always up the front being the engine and driving it and somebody's always up the back with their you know in a carriage with their feet up they're still on the train but um they're not they may be not they're not shoveling the coal, put it that way. And, yeah. And, and for less is more, I wasn't shoveling the shoveling coal. Shoveling the coal. Made a nice change. Hmm. How many how many songs did you work up? Did you do more than's on the album? Oh gosh, I believe we did. Yeah, I think I think a couple went on the shelf, but I can't imagine they stayed on the shelf for long. They probably no. came out either as. B sides or extra tracks or things we gave away at Christmas and mm. I can't honestly remember. Mm. But I shouldn't imagine they just went on the shelf and stayed there. No. Although I could be wrong. No, but I mean, knowing the way you work, I would have thought you'd have done at least a ten percent kind of tolerance so you could make a you could you know, you have a list of fifteen and we'll pick twelve. Yeah. I would have thought we'd done that um, as well. There's probably a couple that we went nah, mm. you know. Well, before we talk next week, I'm going to go back through the web magazines of around about the time just to see what you all said about it when it was fresh in the memory. Yeah, it's it's amazing Uh, you've got access to that material. Well, they're all under my bed. Oh, well, I haven't got any of them under my bed. Right, right. Well, I'm sure there's lots of Marillion fans have got them all under the bed. I'm sure there's lots of Marillion fans have got them all around the house. You I know, think I might it... have a Marillion fan under me bed, but I, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't got any magazine. <laughs> have, you, have you got a Marillion fan walking around the house? I mean, <laughs> or is everybody else walking around the house literally couldn't give a toss? <laughs> it's, a, it's always a possibility. <laughs> a, couple, a couple of Canadians <laughs> in a kitchen cupboard. You know? <laughs> Why is it we think Canadians always go in pairs? <laughs> I always think of Canadians in pairs as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but there we have it. Shall we we should we go slightly sideways into a bit of diary because the diary reading's quite quite long this week. Okay. Um so uh, and and we are I'm not saying we we're floundering around a little bit. I mean we are a little bit. Oh, but um no, that could never happen. Um but why don't we why don't we do that? Come back have a little wrap up and then we can both do a little bit of research um and get into it in a little bit more detail next week. How's that sound? <laughs> I'm off to Sweden, aren't I? I'm just having a quick look. You're off to Sweden, yes. Actually, before you go off to Sweden, I think you spend a bit of time telling us about the flight and about the fact that you either don't seem to get very high or the flight seems a bit odd. But I didn't get any further to realise what you were actually saying. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit strange, as I recall. Yeah. And the, the old... It's funny to go back to the days when Terminal 5 was still not much more than an experiment. Mm. which it was for the first three years after it came into being. You know, the, the, I think they opened it long before it worked. It was Ready. a bit like a Marillion tour. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you ever, did you get into a, going on the pod, the pod parking? Yeah. Yeah. That hasn't worked for about three years no. either. No. Now, I think I've only ever been there once when it's been working. That was the great. Opportunity. Oh, it's fab. Yeah. It was, it was like being at Alton Towers. It was. It was like being a kid again, wasn't it? Yeah, Trundling yeah. along and going up in the air. This is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Shame it never worked. Speaking <laughs> of things like that, I'm completely digressing. Have you been on the uh, cable car to, to the O2? No. I've, I've watched it, you know, but yeah. I've never been up it. Have you been well, up it? Yeah, I've been on that. It's quite fun, that. Is it? Yeah, well, I was, I was at a, doing a trade show at the... Um, Whatever the arena is, the um, down near the, well, whatever that exhibition centre is, I can never remember what it's called. Um, but they used to do the Plaza show there, and we were staying at a hotel, and we said, "Well, oh, we'll go to, we'll go and have something to eat at the O2," um, and went across on the thing. It's great. Oh, it looks yeah. very high. It, yeah, and it's steep when you when you particularly when you're going down. You don't notice it when you're going up. When you're coming down, you kind of going, "Oh, right, okay, it's coming down quite right." Quite no, steep. high up. I remember yeah. thinking, well, I don't know if I'd be comfortable up there on a string. I've got that thing where I'm finding cable cars when right. they're enclosed, but I'm not very good on chairlifts. Because oh. right. I've got that thing about... Yeah, well, I, 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 imagine my, I imagine... I don't know what it is. I imagine throwing myself off. Right. right. Which Because you easily could. It's that kind of, well, what would happen if I just lift this barrier off and just jumped off? I could just do it. Yeah. I got that feeling when I was in the helicopter in uh, 
in Rio because it, it was it had just an open side, mm. and I was just sat there looking at the looking at the sea, and then we were going over the tall buildings, and I was thinking, well, all I've got to do is step off, and I'm out, you know. Yeah. Um, and you get so used to being molly coddled, don't you, and strapped in 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 the modern world mm. that that you're very rarely in a situation where you could just easily no. kill yourself. Not used to being strapped out. <laughs> Are we? Is this still part of the podcast? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go to the diary in a minute. Oh, I think we should keep no, it in. Yeah, yeah, it. it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> checking we hadn't wandered off. <laughs> no, no, well, we have wandered, but he's still in. But, you know, well, let's go, let's go to the diary. Let's, bring, let's put ourselves back on track. Yeah. I got, I'll tell you what, though, I got... Um, I I got vertigo when we went up the shard. Lynette and I went up there because there's a there's a restaurant up the top. There is fishy odd floor. She got me a voucher for my birthday, and so we went we went up the shard and had dinner. And I found that a little bit. Jesus mm. Christ, this is a long way up. Um, and yeah, I don't feel that when I'm on aeroplanes above the clouds or anything. And I and I'm all right with heights if I'm stood on top of a PA and I'm about to leap across to a balcony yeah. at a gig. So I'm I'm my my brain's a bit, you know. I was a bit like that inside at the top of the twin towers. Wait, because they I'd they never move. Been up there. Mm, yeah, um, we Gosh. we went up there, and they move. They actually they meant to, they were meant to move. Yeah, they meant um, to flex. Uh, and and when you were at that height, you could actually you could there was a sense of it. Whether it's because somebody had told me that they move, and I then thought I could feel it, but that was a top of there was a little bit disconcerting. I bet, mm. especially in the light of what later yes. happened. Gosh. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we, we, I think back because I remember the day we went, it was our first wedding anniversary, and we met a really nice security guard in the foyer. And you just, you, you suddenly go back to that human connection and go, mm. wonder what happened to him. Wonder what happened to him, yeah. Mm. My goodness. Yeah. Anyway, there we are. Right. On to the diary. Here comes a bit of Sweden. Thursday, 4th of June. Home, Sweden. Set off around 11.30 for the drive to Heathrow. Not a bad day in England as I set off waving to Lynetta and Vibes on the doorstep. Vibes is too young to know I'm going away and so isn't at all concerned. Lynetta seemed her usual incandescent self. I'm back in a couple of days. The drive to Heathrow was great. Hardly any traffic on the M40, for a change, and a nice, clear, open, sunlit road. I had parked the car and made my way to the departure lounge by 12.15. Frenchie and John were there and quickly checked me in. I was travelling with hand baggage only. My stage clothes are in the truck, so I went straight through to security, where the first chaos of the day presented itself. Terminal 5 opened a year or so ago in a blaze of anticipation, followed by embarrassment as it became evident that the computerised baggage handling system didn't work. On day one, just about every bag was lost, and in the chaos, most of the flights were either delayed or cancelled. Two years on, the terminal still doesn't really function properly. When we got back from Montreal here a month ago, we waited over an hour for our bags to travel the short distance from the plane to the baggage hall. Apologies were occasionally broadcast over the PA system, offering no reason for the delay. The time before that, when we flew into here, we couldn't find the bus stop for the long-term car park, as no one had put up any signs in the terminal. The security hall today was absolutely packed with people queuing for too few machines. A couple of English blokes in suits pushed past me in the queue as though I wasn't there. A family of Germans also found themselves walking past me as we were herded into yet another post office type queue, but the man quickly noticed and apologised. I insisted his wife and kids should go ahead of me also. I know what it's like travelling with a family. Nice chap. 
It must have taken 30 or 40 minutes to get to the security machine. Shoes off, belt off, computer out of bag, have you any liquids, jacket off, beep, come over here, body search, nothing found, go over there, belt on, shoes on, repack bag, jacket on. But I had plenty of time to spare. Went to the giraffe cafe and ordered salmon and scrambled eggs and a smoothie fruit yoghurt thing. All very nice and thankfully very relaxed. We fly at 2.25, so around 1.40 I went for a wander around the shops. Didn't see anything I needed. Bumped into Ian and Rothers staring up at the screen and stared with them until a gate was announced, whereupon we made our way over there to find the rest of the band and crew. Frenchie, our tour manager, apparently made some kind of mistake with the booking, resulting in the band flying economy while the crew flies business. He had realised the error and press-ganged them into swapping boarding passes with us, so we boarded and settled down in business class. I haven't flown business class for ages. It's more or less the same as economy, except that you get offered a hot towel, which remains hot for four seconds, a hot meal, which I didn't want anyway, and the stewardesses seem a little more relaxed. I'm a fan of British Airways and would prefer to fly with them over any other airline, whether in business or economy. Having said that, we had a truly weird takeoff. Down the runway at full throttle and into the air as normal, but then the pilot seemed to throttle back, and I heard the engines revving down and up and down and up as we seemed to turn hard to the left, and out of the windows on the other side of the plane, I could see the rows of houses on the ground and feel that we weren't gaining height. As the engines whirred and then cut back and whirred up and cut back, I became increasingly nervous. Normally planes erupt through the clouds and into blue sky long before the engines cut back. Most of the passengers seemed oblivious to this and carried on reading, but a lady on my left had a puzzled expression too. I turned to look at Rothers, who was looking up quizzically also. Strange, eh? From my seat I could see the stewardesses sitting up front with their backs to the flight deck, both chatting away carelessly. Oh well. The time to worry is when the cabin crew look concerned. Eventually the pilot must have been given permission to get on with it because the engines resumed power and we climbed through a bit of turbulent cloud into the blue cruise. I declined the food and ordered a Bacardi and Coke. I only drink Bacardi and Coke on planes and beaches. They make me feel like I'm on holiday. After a while a stewardess said, I recognise some of you. Which band is it? Marillion, I said. Oh, is Fish on the plane? No, he left in 1988. Oh, I saw the band back then. Now where was it? You don't look old enough. Oh, bless you. I've been in this band now for 20 years and I still seem to have conversations like this on an almost daily basis. Most people don't know Fish quit and those who do think the band split after that. Only the hardcore have heard of me. Oh well. Better a cult hero than a household name. You get left alone when you want to be alone, and there's a lot to be said for that. We landed at Copenhagen without incident. Without incident as far as we were concerned, anyway. I was in this airport only two weeks ago. We'd been to Denmark for Lynetta's mum's birthday. I made my way through the self-same passport control booth, down into the baggage hall and out into the arrivals area, half expecting there to be someone waiting to greet me. There was. Our lighting designer Jens Newholm, who now lives in Copenhagen with his girlfriend. I said hello and then went to Starbucks to get a chai tea. I like those. We were originally going to get the train from Copenhagen Airport and I was quite looking forward to a train journey over the water and through Sweden, but the plans had changed. We would ride in minibuses instead for the two and a half hour journey to Christianstad, where we will stay. I dispatched Frenchie to the shop for beer to get us through the journey. I was in a van with Phil Brown, John Cameron and Count Mosley. Even Ian had a beer, truly shocking. The van driver, Karina, told us that there had been a bomb found in a suitcase in Copenhagen Airport earlier in the day, and that they had only just reopened the airport. Well, you never would have guessed. I saw nothing unusual at all anywhere. Maybe that's why we were doing all the strange stuff at takeoff from Heathrow. 
Maybe they were trying to decide whether to turn us around and land us again. Who knows? Chatted to Phil all the way to Christianstadt, who told me about some of the other gigs he's been doing in London. Tales of interesting musical instruments and interesting musicians, Goldie and gangsters, and someone getting stabbed outside cargo in East London last week. Blimey. We arrived at the hotel around 8.30, and I checked into my room. Not posh, not bad. I plugged my computer in and tried to get online. Lots of email currently flying around about my forthcoming H Natural Polish dates and a general lack of ticket sales, etc. Well, if they will put me on in Krakow the same night as a free open-air Lenny Kravitz concert, what do they expect? I'll go on early and go and see Lenny. I called home and chatted to Elle for a while whilst chomping on a room service club sandwich. All's well there and Vibes has gone to sleep. I decided to do the same. I feel dog-tired and well up for an early night. Got into bed and put the telly on and found BBC World. They're reporting the bomb in Copenhagen Airport too. I was later to discover that it wasn't a bomb at all. Just some spare parts for an aeroplane. Ah, security, security. Friday, 5th of June. After a night of wrestling with an alien pillow, my fault for leaving my own at home, I had a lie-in till half ten, then got up, ordered cappuccinos, the staff are very nice here, showered and got myself together for today's gig. We leave the hotel at 12.15 for our appearance on the rock stage of Sweden Rock at three o'clock in the afternoon. Climbed into the minibus with Mark, Ian and Frenchie for the half-hour drive to the festival site. Pete and Steve R are already there. Pete's doing a number with Neil Morse and Mike Portnoy earlier in the day. Apparently it all went well. The first part of the afternoon was spent hanging around in porter cabin dressing rooms while the weather rained and fined up, then rained again, which was to be the pattern for the whole day. An hour before we were due on stage, it rained really hard, and I went over to the stage for an investigation. Guys were mopping up a lot of water from the stage, and Phil told me that if it's okay, perhaps they should pull the backline a bit deeper within the stage so that the worst of the rain will stay off if it rains again later. There was a band playing across the field on the opposite stage. They were called something about pain, and they were living up to their name on a number of levels. I asked one of the local crew, Who is that over there? And he replied, It's a very angry man. Fair comment. Everywhere the throngs of guys and gals in black, pierced and tattooed, were braving the rain. In my experience, although rockers tend to look like axe murderers to a man, they're usually quite lovely when you get to know them. I still couldn't help feeling very out of place here though, both musically and in terms of my general outlook. I guess I'll go on stage, do my thing and see what happens. Well, it stopped raining. Three o'clock came and we did our thing. There were a few faces I recognised down the front, but not many. The crowd seemed to warm to us during the set, and I think, oddly enough, Cover My Eyes seemed to be a turning point. We seeged into Slange, one of the oldies, and that really seemed to do the trick. Neverland closed the show and went down well. I got out to the front edge of stage whenever I could and tried to connect with the crowd. We encored somewhat riskily with Happiness is the Road and to the surprise of us all had the crowd singing along and managed to leave them singing at the end of the show. You just can't argue with that much love. Everyone in the band seemed happy with the set and the reaction to it. Even Pete seemed pleased with it. A rare thing, he usually comes off stage cursing about something. We made our way back to the dressing room and hung around a while for an MTV interview with some guy from Finland. He seemed alright. At six there was a signing session so we went over to the merch shop area and stood in a stock room for a while before being called over to a long trestle table where we all sat on stools while people filed past. I said hello to Freddie Bilkvist, the photographer, who was mercifully wearing a pink hat. He was unique for several square miles in this respect and a source of hope as far as I was concerned. 
There seemed to be a lot of people waiting in line, and it took a while for them all to go by. Everyone seemed to have really enjoyed our set. I nicked a baby-sized Ramones t-shirt on the way out, by way of payment, for little vibes, and we went over to the backstage restaurant where we were provided with dinner. The restaurant seemed groovy, black, of course, with chandeliers hanging above the tables. We ordered tapas and steak. Before the starters came, Mark received some awful and somewhat bizarre news. The family have just taken delivery of a new puppy, which had been accidentally crushed when the new babysitter who was playing with the children slipped from one of the kids' tricycles. The poor little thing was pronounced dead shortly afterwards. Well, that put a bit of a downer on the dinner, and Mark seemed visibly upset. Frenchy made preparations to try and get him home as soon as possible, and managed to get him onto the first flight out of Copenhagen in the morning. The steak took forever to arrive, and when it did, it looked great, but it was cold. Shame. Never mind. We managed to get our hands on creme brulee a bit quicker, and then left to take the van back to the hotel. Got back to my room 4.04, around 9pm, and phoned home. Once again, I couldn't really contemplate much except getting into bed and passing out. I remember passing Ronnie James Dio in the hotel lobby. Sadly, he was dead within the year. And we're back! And while we're on the subject of Sweden, I'm not going to ask you about the diary because I haven't read it, but while we're on the subject of Sweden, um, have you ever heard of a band called Black Sweden? No. Right, okay. I have not. So Black Sweden was a collection of session musicians hey. who were all, uh, they all played kind of hair rock. Oh, that okay. Was, that, that was, that was their, that was their, yeah. yeah. And then what they did was they, they took ABBA songs and they mixed them in with classic rock tunes. Oh, okay. So you'd what, get the like riff of smoke. Yeah, and you'd get the riff of smoke on the water, but you'd get, you know... Money, 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 or something along right. in terms of the. So you you think you were going to get the first line of smoke on the water, but you actually get the first line of an ABBA tune. Right, far out. I'll send you one across to have a listen to. They are hilarious. Oh, Lynetta would like that. She's mad for ABBA. What's great about them is if you're a, a rock guitarist, every one of those rock guitarist tricks, all those whammy bar things, and the the sweep picking, and all the various things where you know harmonics and all that kind of stuff. They've they've put every single one of those in. They've gone as over the top as they can. Right. Whilst the songs are actually ABBA. Right. right. Brilliant. I'll send you something across. Anyway, back to Diary. Why were you in Sweden? Why were we there? It was a festival. It was uh, Sweden Rocks um, that we were invited out to do, to perform at. And... um, you know, whenever we do anything like that, we're confronted by the fact that we are we're considered to kind of fall into that heavy rock genre because the because the magazines write about us. Um, but whenever we're invited to do to actually step up to the plate, we realise how out of place we are because we're. We we don't really fit into any any genre. We're we're no. we're awkward, you know. We're we're mm. we're in a lot of places at once. And if you could draw a Venn diagram, the the rock thing wouldn't be much of an overlap, really. We, we'd no. probably have bigger overlaps into other areas, you know, alternative uh, rock, perhaps. Um, you know, there'd be a there'd there'd be a lot of be a lot of circles in a Venn diagram that that tried to define Marillion, I think, and the rock one wouldn't be that much of a of a thing. And 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 yet, ironically, if I if you were to toddle off to the BBC today and ask some BBC producer what we do. He'd tell you we're a heavy rock band because he a he has no idea and b he's seen us on the front of Kerrang years ago. 
so that's that's a double-edged sword really it's great that these magazines write about us but i think it misleads a lot of people do you know what it was funny because that actually links a little bit of the phil brown conversation as well because back in the day late 80s kerrang would be the place you would expect to read about merlin yeah and yet kerrang really was i know it was a catch-all for rock but at that point in time, the scene was very much that kind of heavy rock, long, you know, hair rock kind of thing. It was it was the Def Leppard, it was the Bon Jovi, it was all that kind of stuff. Skid Row and all those kind of bands. And Kerrang was outselling the New Musical Express by mm, about 10 to 1 as well. Mm, but, but, massive. You know, that's what the people were buying, whether mm. the NME liked it or not. Well, you either kind of bought that, you bought NME or you bought Q, didn't you? Those those are about your options. Yeah. Pretty much. And and you weren't and Q I mean Q reviewed you quite well a couple of times I think they re, they reviewed Afraid of Sunlight very well they did yeah we 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 got we got a pretty good review for that and rightly yeah. so yeah but no it is weird with like you say with you being in that that space and it probably is a hangover all the way back to to Kerrang because now you're a little bit more placed aren't you I mean I know I know it's Prog magazine and those kind of titles but there does seem to be more genre specific content now i guess i mean i mean we progs looked after us um progs kind of um hailed us as, as, as an important british band in in that genre and we're grateful for that and it's, it's given us a lot of exposure but again it's slightly misleading because we are, we, you, you know, again, it, it boils down to what, how you define these genres. It, it, it's, it, it's a, we, we've never been comfortable in any of the boxes, really. No. Um, because when we're writing, we're, we're never um, conscious of, of that genre. We're, we're just jamming away. Um, looking for interesting stuff and each member of the band has its own favorite artists none of which really are are you know i, th- I think in the early days the bo- the boys were big fans of genesis just as i was when i was 17 i went to all the gigs and everything and, and i went to to all the yes shows um and they were my you know they were they my favourite bands, maybe. But then I was also listening to Hall and Oates. You know, I was listening to Pink Floyd, uh, and then I was listening to Buzz Skaggs and Steely Dan. Uh, then I was listening to the to Earth, Wind and Fire, um, and then I was listening to Joni Mitchell, and then later on, you know, discovering Prefab Sprout and and the Blue Nile. And then I was off into another place, you know, listening to the associates and the simple minds and and then the the. Um so you know, most most of the members in the band have been on on a journey, um into prog, then out of it and into other things, you know. Pete's absolutely mad for the Beatles and uh psychedelic pop music that you know he loves he loves that stuff um he sent me um he said he sent a thing around the other day has anybody heard of this band and and they're called the the dowler pool have you heard of the dowler pool they sound like i mean they're really interesting they sound like xtc um with xtc with but with 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 more structured beach boys like vocals um, really sophisticated stuff, uh, and Pete's currently raving about that. And um, so each member of the band has their own personal musical passions, and so tr- trying to force us into any genre is tricky because because we're excited by such different things. Um, you know, people ask me who, who, who which vocalists I'm, have inspired me over the years, and yes, most definitely John Anderson and Peter Gabriel when I was a kid. But then after that, 
Daryl Hall and Paul Buchanan. So, and if and and out of all of them, probably Paul Buchanan's had the the longest lasting effect over me. And not because I'm trying to be like him, but I'm trying to be honest. And and the honesty in his performances is always absolutely staggering, um, almost unnatural. And so, I, if anything, that's what I'm looking for these days. I'm looking for honesty more than sounding like someone or a certain kind of tone. Or obviously, you try and you try and stay in tune, but but it's 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 something that that you have to believe in what you're doing, and you, you know, otherwise nobody else can. Um, what where did I start on this? I've I've gone off, haven't I, on a bit of a. A Swedish journey. rock festival we started ah, yeah. that. So <laughs> so we went to Sweden Rocks uh, <laughs> because apparently we're a rock band. And, um, I mean, even at Sweden Rocks, we finished that show with the song Happiness is the Road, which is essentially a kind of, what's that? It's more of a, more of a dub thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um prog dub or whatever you choose to call it so that didn't fit fit in terribly comfortably when i mean you look out from the stage and there's just all these people wearing black with rings through their noses (laughs) and ear tunnels (laughs) and lots of tattoos he's standing there singing happiness is the road and they're all staring back thinking oh i don't know about this (laughs) ear tunnels tattoos and quizzical looks i think that might be the episode title (laughs) yeah yeah oh dear you're right you are a nightmare as a as a um as a what's the festival act yeah. I mean, where, where do you put you? I mean, it just... Yeah, we need our own festival, really. That's, <laughs> yeah. th- that's all. Yeah. Uh, I guess... Maybe you could do a cruise to the edge, but on an open-top bus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I could see that working. <laughs> a bit more modest. Yeah, you could do you could do the run, you know, the Golden Mile at Blackpool down the Illumination run. That'd be that'd work. I could see that working. <laughs> cruise down the prom. Um, cruise down the pr- cruise down the prom. There it is. There it is. Mm. Mm. Sharabang to the lights. Exactly. Yeah. Should we call it a day for one, three, four? Yes. Yes. Let's. We'll, we'll attack it proper next week. We will. I'll. I'll. Look, I'll go and listen to it. Try and find yeah. out what the hell we did, uh, in the hope that that I'll remember why. Um, having just earlier played, if my heart were a ball. It jogged no, nothing at all, but but hopefully some of the others will. You do that. I'll see what I can find written down, and we'll take a proper run at it next week. Yes, fantastic. Let's do that. Right. Okay. Well, enjoy your week. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all next time, folks. All righty. Thanks for listening, everybody. I must have left the house at eight Because I always do My train, I'm certain, left the station Just when it was due I must have read the morning paper Going into town And having gotten through the editorial No doubt I must have frowned I must have made my desk Around a quarter after nine With letters to be read And heaps of papers waiting to be signed I must have gone to lunch At half past twelve or so The usual place, the usual bun And still on top of this, I'm pretty sure it must have rained 
the day before you I must have smoked my seventh cigarette at half past two And at the time I didn't even notice I was blue I must have kept on dragging through the business of the day Without really knowing anything I hid a part of me away At five I must have left There's no exception to the rule A matter of routine I've done it ever since I finished school The train back home again Undoubtedly I must have read the evening paper then Yes, I'm sure my life was well within its usual frame The day before you along the way to buy some Chinese food to go I'm sure I had my dinner watching something on TV There's not I think a single episode of Clarkson that I didn't see I must have gone to bed about a quarter after ten I need a lot of sleep So I have to be in bed by then I must have read a while The latest thing by Julian Barnes Or something of that style It's funny but I had no sense of living without aim day before you came I'm turning out the light I must have yawned and called it quits for yet another night And rattling on the roof I must have heard the sound of rain The day before UK Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>